Ortiz fights it off center field. Damon running to the plate, and he can keep on running to New York. Back to full. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. I can't circle. I don't have my telestrator today, but why? here comes a pizza. See it? <laughs> This is our fucking city, and nobody gonna dictate our freedom. Stay strong. All right, welcome back to the Red Sox podcast that we don't know what's called. America's most beloved podcast, uh, the most downloaded Red Sox podcast in the world. Uh, Pat Light, I believe, is on a plane circling an airport somewhere. Petey Pumpkins is covering hockey. Jake has a 102 fever. So it's me and Tyler Milliken just rocking, just just us two breaking down a fucking miserable series in Tampa. I still I wasn't even over last night's loss, and then today happened, and like I get like the first inning was exciting and everything, uh, but I was still mad about Saturday night to care too much about Sunday. But we'll get into it because there are some there are some positives and we're not like fucking we're not going to be like a wishy washy only focus on the positives type podcast. Of course, like we're going to dig into the negatives. But when things are going poorly, that doesn't mean that you ignore the positives as well. We're going to we're going to hit on all that um, going into this series in Tampa. Uh, the Red Sox have been a very meh baseball team. Very meh. And I feel like when when you have a meh team, you steer towards the negative. You're like, yeah, they're kind of good. Well, nah. I mean, they're kind of bad, too. They're kind of bad. And I think if there is a silver lining in in any of this, I think it's, it's, it's almost been like a bizarro world Red Sox team where we expected the pitching to not be that great and that be the reason why, you know, they got off to a slow start. Uh, but it's really been the offense. And I think the offense is going to figure it out at some point. But it is beyond frustrating to watch this team try to hit baseballs. And I was actually, uh, interestingly enough, uh, I was going to try and get Will Middlebrooks. If, if it wasn't for the fucking plague that hit this podcast... I was going to have Will Middlebrooks join us because he is in town to do the Nesson coverage. Uh, I was going to have him pop over here because he had some interesting takes about the offense being down across the league. And if you listen to Baseball is Dead, Dallas Braden explained why offense might be down across the league. Balls just dying in front of the warning track. Uh, but Tyler... This this series in Tampa, you you made this point before we started recording. You're you're one shitty play at first base away from winning the series. It was it, it essentially came down to one shitty play and a Kevin Kiermeyer walk off bomb, whatever. But you don't get to that point. Uh, and 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 I think if you lose that final game. A lot of people would have been like, yeah, all right. Yeah, no, I can live with that. That's not a big deal um, based on who was pitching for Tampa, who was pitching for the Red Sox. You lose that series finale. You walk out of there winning two out of three. You feel pretty good about yourself. That's just not That's just not what happened. And it was all because of one one bad inning, even though you did get technically... <laughs> technically, you got no hit on Saturday night, but that doesn't matter. 
there, there are rules in place in, in baseball where you can get no hit over nine innings and still win the baseball game, which the Red Sox should have done. They should have done that. Uh, so I'm going to let you, dealer's choice, where do you want to start uh, breaking down this series? I think we start, we got to start negative. You know, you lose two out of three. I, we, we can be positive. There's positive things to pull out from here. But we're going to blow Garrett Whitlock like that's happening. Oh, so. yeah, trust me. Yeah, uh, we've already been doing it since Saturday. Yeah. Um, but no, look, we made this point. We talked about this last episode. It was the OBP, the chase rate, all this different stuff. So we've had three games come by. Where do the Red Sox stand in all these categories? Fourth worst in OBP. Last in pitches seen per plate appearance. Highest chase rate in baseball at 36.2%. What does that tell you? What, what did you see over this weekend? Poor at bats. You had Shane McClanahan, who, even though you put two runs on the board on Sunday, pitched into the seventh inning, still went super far against you, did not have much trouble doing it. Um, the at bats are not productive. It's just again and again, it's that kind of consistent problem here. Um, some of it has to do a lot, probably with the bottom of the order. You have Bobby, who's having a hard time kind of getting things together here. You look at first base, they're six for 58 out of that position, 103 batting average. Garbage, trash, not going to get it done. Sorry. But overall, I, I think it's an approach problem. And I think this this issue existed going back to last season. And one of the reasons Kyle Schwarber meant so much to this team when he came here was he knew how to work and at bat. He did not make life easy for pitchers. And it was something, hey, it spread to Bobby Delbeck at the time. It spread to other guys. It felt like the entire lineup kind of slowed things down a little bit. Right now, you're not seeing that. As much as I love Rafael Devers and as great as he is, he's swinging at everything. Anything he can kind of go at. His chase rate or his chase rate, it's bottom 5 percentile in all of baseball. Like that stuff is just not going to get you there. I think that's where you have to look. You scored 16 runs this week. 16. No, I'm just there's no way to explain that and I think what frustrates people, and I think why people are so upset right now is we know come September when we look at this division It'll be the Red Sox and it'll be a couple games between what could, you know, in my eyes, be probably second and third place. I think a lot of people look at the Blue Jays and kind of tip their cap and we see them as a tier above here. You're getting the pitching. You've got it again and again and again. Michael Walker, five innings, two earned runs. Garrett Whitlock, oh my God, shoving it down their throats. You stood no chance. They He made you look as bad as you're going to look. And then even Rich Hill, four scoreless. The bullpen outside of, you know, Sunday, they got roughed up. They entered today with the seventh best bullpen ERA in baseball. You know, Robles, finally, he's been a god. He got he got bit by Kevin Kiermaier, and he shouldn't have been. You know, it was bad bad throw by Story, bad footwork by Delbeck. You can split it 50-50 whatever way you want to put it. But, geez, it, no matter what direction you want to go here, it's the lineup. They're not producing, and they got to be held accountable for it. It is it is odd uh, that you know you had that like you're put in a position on Saturday where if it's not for a dominant Red Sox bullpen, you got no hit. <laughs> it, albeit a combined no hitter, but you still got no hit on Saturday uh, if it's not nothing, nothing going into extra innings. Um, and talking about these these divisional games, like you took a series from the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, they're out to a ten and six start. The Yankees have now won three straight. They're ten and six. You just lost a series to Tampa. They're nine and seven, and you're 
you're closer to the Baltimore Orioles already than you are to anyone else that we just mentioned from the American League East. Uh, well, look, when you look at the Red Sox, your strength is your offense. Can you really say how many games has the offense won for you this year? Maybe we say last Sunday where they exploded in the eighth inning. Yeah. Well, hey, it took you to the eighth inning for the offense to explode. Do mm-hmm. you realize the pressure you're putting on this pitch on this pitching staff on a day-to-day basis out here? And this is what scares me because look at last year. Why did your bullpen crap the bed for two months? Because you ran them into the damn ground. And this is a different way. You know, last year was really your pitchers weren't going deep. They're not going super deep this year. That's part of it, but that's across baseball. There's no breathing room. This feels just like August. It feels just like September where you never feel comfortable. You never feel safe because you never have a significant lead there. And you know, the bats will disappear for seven, eight innings, sometimes an entire game. Yeah. And, and that's why like, it's it's so odd because it's not a we, they are who we thought they were situation. I, if like Michael Walker has been the second best, third best pitcher on this, he's been the best starter. But the other best pitcher has been Garrett Woodlock and then Hansel Robles. Um, but if like Michael Walker was going out there and getting shelled, and James Paxton was healthy, but he was going out there and getting rocked, and Rich Hill has done what he's done, uh, then you'd be like, yeah, they kind of are who we thought they were. They didn't really do anything spectacular in the offseason to to bolster the rotation. You kind of just got some reclamation projects over there. Uh, of course, they're not doing well. But that's that's not been the issue. I mean, Nick Pavetta has not been good. Uh, we'll talk about him a little bit later when we when we look ahead to that series in Toronto. He's not been good, but Rich Hill gave you a chance to win. Nathan Avaldi has given you a chance to win every single time that he's taken the ball this year. <clears throat> Michael Walker has been spectacular, uh, and you know Tanner Houck has has exceeded all kinds of expectations. And you know, I know that Alex Cora <laughs> was sitting in a hotel somewhere, and you got Will Venable managing these teams in Tampa. But what the fuck? I mean, I get that you can't use them in Toronto because of the COVID shit. But what was the point of of bringing in Tanner Houck uh, after you're already losing in that game? Like you, you should have gone to him way sooner. Like what, what the fuck was the point of that? A hundred percent. And like, listen, I, this is a part of Cora's game. And I know other teams and other fans want to throw crap their way. If you don't look at Alex Cora as one of the best, you know, bullpen managers in baseball, you're a clown. You know, everyone wants to look back at 2018 and think everything was so perfect. They were short on arms in 2018. And what did Alex Cora do with that rotation? Having guys pitching between days, kind of going back and forth. He's become amazing at that and kind of feeling these different situations out. It's just you look at today, Rich Hill gives you what he gives you. Even if it was something like Phillips Valdez at the time, you want to give him his shot. Listen, he got touched up today, had no control, whatever. He's been great for this team. Eight scoreless innings before this. You couldn't ask much more from him. These guys are relievers. No matter, you know, people want to sit there. The first time a guy gives something up or the bullpen does something, look at Heim, look at Heim, blah, 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 blah. These guys are going to get hit eventually. Nobody's going to be perfect, just like Robles got eventually hit. And you just tip your cap. You're not going to be perfect forever. But to go to Ryan Brazier, please spare me. Spare me, Ryan Brazier. We... <laughs> Like he's come in situations this year, eight out of 10 inherited runners. Get the hell out of here in that situation. And, you know, people want to cry about, oh, well, he threw strike three. He missed his location by four feet. (laughs) 
Like, I'm not going to sit there and get all like upset about it. Like Christian Vasquez is sitting at the top of the strike zone. It's almost near the bottom. Mm -hmm. Sorry, be better. If I see another one of those garbage breaking balls in the middle of the zone in one of those spots, it's just, it's rough. And I was a guy down the stretch last year. I respect what Brian Brazier gave this team because you don't get to the playoffs without him. But diminished velocity and what we've seen this year, he is at the bottom of this bullpen list. And putting him in in that high leverage spot when you know this series is kind of on the line here, how can you feel good about it? And right. at that point, Shane McClanahan had been dicing you up for a couple innings already. Yeah, I, I I guess more so where I land on this is when water finds its level with this team, like I think that uh you know the the bullpen is overachieving and the lineup is underachieving and to a, to an extent i guess like the the rotation a little bit is is overachieving because i mean you're not going to expect a sub one from michael walker all year and i know you've probably seen nathan avaldi's fip <laughs> it's like double his era so he's he's been a little lucky this year um those homers yeah. have been coming in yeah, he's been giving up homers. He's been throwing a lot of pitches uh, to be able to give you five innings. Like he's throwing, he's, I don't know what the average is, but he's probably averaging a little more than 100 pitches per outing and being able to give you roughly five innings. Um, you even look at Rich Hill today. Like I know some people wanted him to go deeper. Four innings felt like that was enough. what you were going to get out of Rich Hill. Yeah. I, I wasn't trying to see him for another inning out there. Yeah. Yeah. So I, like it, you know, you do need a little bit of time to get a read on what kind of team you got. And until we see a stretch where the Red Sox start hitting, I mean, how can you really know what you have with this team when, I mean, like a guy like Kike hasn't gotten it going yet. Bobby, albeit the uh, the RBI triple in the 10th inning on Saturday like that, that should have been his coming out party. And then you just have that fucking the play at first base and it undoes everything. The Red Sox lose anyway, um, which upsets me because Bobby Delbeck's defense at first base besides that great rough play. Fantastic. It's yeah. everything you could ask for. And he was doing that at the end of last year, too. He took big strides in that department. So it sucked for that moment to happen there. Christian Arroyo is another name. Hard start, hard start. And listen, there is a different group. Yeah, you know, the hitting coach is there now. We know Tim Hires. He went to, you know, Texas. Pete Fatsa stepped in. Great. You know, he comes from that same line. I don't think the message has changed at all, but you have Ben Rosenthal in that room, Luis Ortiz in that room. Is that part of the adjusting? And we haven't even mentioned JD being out. You know, that plays a part in this too. Um, but like you said, I think this team, this is what we're gonna see. And right now we're seeing the weird side of it where like you know, the bats aren't there. There's going to be stretches where the pitching isn't there. And we're going to have ups and downs where some days you feel really good about this team and some days you feel really bad. But I think that's kind of what was anticipated. And Alex Cora, Heim Bloom, whoever you want to check in this Red Sox front office slash, you know, in the dugout itself, they keep saying it's a marathon again and again and again. Well, I think they say, well, come May, Tristan Cassis will be part of this team. Probably will give you the OBP guy you're looking for here. Has, I think, 12 walks in 16 games or something like this at AAA. 403 OBP. That'd look pretty beautiful in this lineup right now in some capacity. June, July, Chris Sale, James Paxton. I don't think the Red Sox expect to be, you know, second or even first. I think this is about treading water. 
I think what sucks is you had every opportunity to be in that spot right now. And eventually it feels like once you do start hitting, the pitching is going to come back to earth. And that's where the frustration is really going to set in where, hey, we could have been, you know, three, four, five games ahead of where we're at. Yeah. Yeah. It, and, and and I would hate to have uh, the debut of Tristan Cassis be a please save our season kind of debut. Uh, that's not that's not what he needs. That's not what this team needs. It would nice. It would be nice to inject him into a a, a a situation where he can be put in a position to succeed, but not necessarily need to succeed. Um, and we know with Alex Cora, he does not like to throw these guys in. He likes no. to throw them in kind of a platoon or something like that, which I think could work for someone like Bobby who mashes lefties. Like th- that's been the one thing. And I know we haven't seen much of it this year, right? He's a guy who's going to get hot and he's going to go through these ups and downs. He's overexposed being out there every single day. I think that's just the reality of the situation. And he was amazing down the stretch last year, especially August, but he cooled off at the end. If you can just cover up a little bit of that for him, it will go a long way. And I think that's where you'll see the bench step up because, listen, respect to Rob Snyder, Great throw today. Uh, you know, had a big, not a big hit, but a double for them. One of their few hits. The bench feels thin. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I think the whole team starts to round out by that point. It's just, you know, you can't win it in April, but you can lose it in April. And they're not in that light yet. I'm not panicking like that. But is there a way where you could see that happening right now? For sure. Especially considering you got four in Toronto and you're not going to be at full strength. Right. And and it's just the, the dynamic of the division being what it is. Like, you're not going to just be chasing one team. Uh, there are three teams that you can make the case are... As good, if not better, than the Boston Red Sox, objectively. Uh, so you can't you can't have that be a situation where you're you're letting those teams get so much distance between you, um, which is why like I, it's so hard to kind of like put like a finger on it. Like is is this what they are? No, but is what they're gonna be much better? You know what I mean? Like like if if you're looking at this team right now and and. Everything ends up being what you expected it to be. Is that much better than what this team is right now? I I don't know. Like I, I think the the vibes are definitely off. Um, but like if yesterday, if things go the way they were supposed to, Trevor yeah. Story makes that throw. The vibes it's a totally, are so yeah. different. Sure, you you and, take two out of three in Tampa. Uh. Yeah, I think that you 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 come out of that feeling like okay, you know, we can hang with them, which is which is essentially what I said in the division series. Like after, I think the Red Sox had a losing record against the Rays during the regular season last year, but basically once they got Chris Sale back, not that Chris Sale was like the you know the end all be all of their season, but around that point when Chris Sale came back. Then they started playing the Rays. It's like, all right, no, the Red Sox can hang with this team. And I, I think you can still, even though losing two out of three to the Rays, I think you can still come out of there being like, yeah, like the Red Sox can hang with the Rays this year. Um, you know, and they look- got off to a hot start on Sunday and they should have won that fucking game on Saturday. Like, you know, you, you lose two out of three, but you don't want to play the game of, well, they could have swept. And it's like, yeah, I mean, no, I, Two out of three. They should have. They should have fucking. And and it's. It also feels weird to say. Well, 
they definitely should have won that game on Saturday. They fucking got no hit. <laughs> if it wasn't if it wasn't for the Red Sox bullpen being absolutely filthy, you get not only swept, but you get no hit in the middle game. So I, it's hard to say they should have won two out of three. Like I keep it's, going back and forth on that. Like, yeah, like, yes, yes, you should have won on Saturday, but kind of no, you shouldn't have at the same time. I think even the Red Sox were looking at it like Tyler Danish was out there in the ninth. You know, you know, like no disrespect to Tyler Danish, but it's one of those situations where, hey, we kind of haven't played to win this game. We don't deserve to win this game at the moment. Let's throw it at the wall and see what happens. I think that's why you get annoyed here because you had a chance to steal one. And you've had other chances, whether it was in Toronto to steal one like that and you kind of throw it away. And the Rays, if you're looking for a team, the Yankees, they pitched very well last year. Garrett Cole looked like himself today. Let's see how long that lasts. I don't want to go crazy, but I like the depth of their pitching staff a lot. I think you look at the Rays right now. They're dealing with a lot of the same problems you're dealing with. Shane Boz is out to June. Uh, loose bodies in his elbow. Luis Patino, disaster in terms of his health right now. Kind of falling off the block. They're going to depend on Corey Kluber, who's, you know, basically his body's wet toilet paper and they're hoping to keep it together. Like, they have a lot of similar concerns. And at this time, where the Rays and the Red Sox were, they were neck and neck. But on Sunday, where this lineup was, once they were down two runs, did anyone feel like they had a shot? No. I, I, none. And that's where the lineup just you continue to you have to hold them accountable. As much as the bullpen may have let it fly a little bit at the end and you wasted Tanner Houck, it all comes down to them. And it's going to get better. Listen. Trevor Story, he's finding his swing. You can see it day by day out there. Bogarts has been Bogarts. Devers a little up and down. Verdugo's still doing his thing out there. They're going to hit. They just need a little life out of the bottom of the order. That's it. And just a couple more walks. Just some more of that on-base percentage stuff. And I just don't know where you're going to get that if it's not Tristan Cassis in a couple weeks. Yeah, that, yeah that's kind of like the next question is, when is the turning point? Like, what are you looking for? Because I know last year, a lot of fans were like, all right, we just need to tread water until Chris Sale gets back. And when Chris Sale got back, yeah, he, he looked pretty good. And then uh, towards the end, not so much. Uh, so Chris Sale wasn't that savior. Really, it wasn't until Kyle Schwarber came back from his injury and changed the dynamic of that lineup as an on-base guy, but he was a power threat. Uh, I think the mood changed because I know at the trade deadline last year, which seems odd looking back on it now, when the trade deadline came and gone, there were some players that were like, what the fuck? Well, we didn't do anything. We, we didn't like this sucks. Like we're a team worth investing in and we didn't do anything. And like, they kind of played like shit, but it's like, but you, you got Kyle Schwarber. And I think it was Coley's point. When he was like, the Red Sox may have acquired the best hitter to change teams at the trade deadline, and it and it was, it was Kyle Schwarber, and it ended Heim up being true. Shot. Heim called his shot, yeah. um, and that's what it became. And I think with Kyle Schwarber at the time, it's it's just the impact on other guys. You saw it go throughout that lineup, and I feel like right now you see a lot of guys on the team chasing, and it's spreading. You have guys who get into these habits like Kike Hernandez. Devers falls into it and it kind of spreads throughout the lineup. And, you know, I love Heim. You know, people call me a fanboy, whatever it may be. I'll hold them accountable. You look at this offseason, 
if it was not Kyle Schwarber, and I understand that. Um, you know, I was someone who spoke about the possibilities of a J.D. Martinez trade, especially with 15 spots opening up. Could you have gone the route of bringing someone like Kyle Schwarber back and looking at that? And I love J.D., all the love in the world for him, but these were things you had to think about um, because I felt like this was a part of your lineup you didn't have, and you didn't go that way. But was there a Seiya Suzuki who has the best chase rate in all of baseball right now? who would look pretty damn good in this lineup and you'd feel a lot better. Yeah. Now, am I at the point in the year where I'm going to tell you, hey, Heim, like be better. You, you messed up there. No, but these are holes that need to be addressed. And when you kind of look around here, it's like. If we, this Blue Jay series happens and you lose three out of four, maybe you lose all four. Things get ugly very quickly for you. Very quickly. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess, uh, you know, that's that's kind of where the Tristan Cassis thing comes from, where uh, it, it's it's an interesting dynamic because fans will be very excited to see him. But I think a lot of us don't want him to be put in a position where he needs to be the savior of the season. That's not where you want to go. And I was thinking of this earlier today. When's the last time the Red Sox like, got off to a hot start? We're just like right out the gate. It was like this this fucking team, huh? This team's pretty good, you know. Like even if, yeah, like even last year it was eighteen ele- ten. Yeah, last years. year. Yeah, last year you, you lose the first three, then you win what nine in a row. Like that that's probably the closest thing. Um, but at this point last year, you know, through this many games, we started to feel really good because mm-hmm. uh, the tone had completely flipped. It's just you're at the other end of this now. And listen, if they were dominating, what would you see in every Twitter response? Oh, you don't win anything in April. Da, 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 da. Okay. All right. Um, but you know, you need to you need to get at least consistent here. And I think with the offense, it doesn't feel like something that's gonna flip overnight. It seems like something that's gonna take some time to kind of readjust because it's existed for a while now. And, you know, maybe JD Martinez helps that a little bit, but we've seen the swing and miss in his game at times. And, you know, are you telling me I'm gonna see 2018 or 2019 JD Martinez again? Probably not. You know what I mean? He's older. You, you can't. He doesn't get that. enough credit for how good he was last year, though. I, listen, I, I think he was good. I think he tailed off in a big way in the second half, and he admitted that himself. Yeah. Uh, the mechanics kind of got out of whack. It was like a 126 OPS plus or something like that. You know, 2018 JD was unworldly, but even 2019 was like 139. Still a really good middle of the order bat, you know? But yeah. in terms of the bat that used to carry an entire lineup, that's on Devers now. And he Jamie has Martinez that ability. led the league in doubles last year. He you did. That? Yeah. Yes, he did. He mashed uh, in that sense. It's just that second half, it came down a little bit. Um, and he got off to a crazy hot start. I give him his credit. Shout out to him in the postseason last year. He erupted out there. But I think if we're looking at it, there they need something else there. And I don't even think it's in terms of straight production. I, I just think it's the OBP stuff. And, you know, that's just a different type of hitter. You know, Kyle Schwarber and JD Martinez different guys yeah yep i don't know it's it just it doesn't pass the vibe check right now doesn't pass the vibe check i uh i don't i don't love where the team is at from a roster construction standpoint um you know even like talking to some of them just like having personal doubts you know, like I, I don't love that. There, it just feels like there's negativity within this club right now. 
and not to because I hate the whole like making a story out of nothing, but I don't think that this, that this is nothing. I, I think it kind of started with like the the Bogarts contract stuff, like that really kind of set a negative tone to start the year because he is he is like the heart of that that team and that clubhouse and of course you would love to get off on a on a positive note to start the season um but it just feels like ever since like Bogarts did that press conference where they asked him like hey you know is there anything going to get done before opening day and he's like nope and you could tell he was pissed and then the season started uh and and Bogarts is is not an excuse maker so when he says i think it was the last game of the of the previous homestand um i think he got asked about the red sox offense like what do you think like what what's going on with the offense like why are guys struggling and why aren't the red sox able to string together some hits and and have a big inning or consistency and he more or less he he, he prefaced it by saying like you know not to make excuses but we didn't have a fucking spring training. He's like, guys are still trying to get their timing down. Guys are still trying to get their swings right. And if you are a casual baseball fan that's just tuning in to watch Red Sox baseball on a nightly basis, and you're not accounting for the the human element, you just turn on the TV and these are just robots to you and they go and they play baseball and then you go on with your life. Or... You can factor in if you're listening to this podcast, it's because you love baseball so much that watching the games aren't enough. You want to hear about the games afterwards, which we love and appreciate. Thank you. Uh, But those people would understand that. Yeah, that fucking matters. You can't just you can't just sit on your ass for an entire offseason and then roll into a big league season against the best, most electric arms in the fucking world having a handful of spring training at bats when you're trying to get your feet underneath you, your swing down, your timing down, and you weren't afforded that opportunity. But that's only an excuse for so long because now we're we're almost at the end of April at this point. Um, so I, I, I did slash do have sympathy for the difficulty that is getting ready for a big league season without a full spring training. I, I, can, I can definitely level with that. But... Yeah, I think it's a combination of all that. Uh, yeah. I think that they, it did get off on the wrong foot because of the Bogarts contract stuff, the Devers contract stuff, no spring training, and you. this team was built to succeed on the back of the offense. And if they're not slugging the shit out of the baseball, uh, you cannot depend on this Red Sox pitching staff to carry you to the promised land. Like we're going to be so shut down, so dominant of a pitching staff that we can have a a middle of the road offense and still get the job done. No. No, because that is not uh sustainable one and that's just not a formula for success in this division. It's just not. Uh cuz we've already seen it. Like you, you you have had a pretty decent start to the season from a pitching pr- uh, perspective, but you also have had an abysmal start to the season offensively. And <clears throat> where are you? Fucking, what are they? Three games under 500 now? Yep. Or two, seven and nine. Seven and nine. Two games under 500. Yeah. With so, a negative six run differential. Yeah. That's disgusting. Now, Jared, let me ask you 
at the deadline last year, you mm-hmm. know, there was obvious and Bogarts alluded to this, that there was a belief the front office wasn't always fully in. And, uh, you know, there were reasons last year to say that. I think by the end of the season, we saw Robles zero ERA in September. Um, Kyle Schwarber, best bat at the deadline, quieted those things. You know, obviously the run, all that. Now, a full year later, spring training comes and goes. Bogart's endeavors, both, you know, extensions are in the air. I think you would agree they probably could have used another arm at the very least, whether it was an Erod replacement or someone else in the bullpen you could lean on. Is there a, you know, a, a frustration or a disconnect there where they're kind of in that same light again, where we're not getting the proper support? And you have guys like Chris Sale who publicly spoke out. We need bogey here. Like we need this guy here. Is there that kind of disconnect once again, where they feel, you know, look at, they're looking around, look at the Rays, look at the Yankees, look at the Blue Jays. Why are we not getting that same kind of, you know, resources? Yeah, I, I think there was definitely more of that until the Trevor Story signing. Um, <clears throat> but I think, uh, to, you know, speaking more to the negative vibe, uh, I think a lot of guys looked around and they saw what Trevor Story got. And then they saw the reports of what Xander Bogarts was offered. And they were like, wait a second, what the fuck? You know, and... And it, is Trevor's story necessary? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yes, he is. Because when you lose Hunter Renfro um, and you lose Kyle Schwarber and you are a team built on offense and, and plate discipline and on base percentage. I mean, that, those were the teams that Theo Epstein built. Like Theo Epstein run teams in Boston were on base machines. They they grinded. And I get, I, I totally understand that the game of baseball has changed since then. It doesn't... Um, I think that it still has uh, its advantages, but not the same advantages. And I'll explain. Back then, when Theo Epstein was building these teams that would see a lot of pitches uh, per plate appearance, and they would walk a lot and, and, and grind at bats, that was because you wanted to get the starting pitchers out of the game to get into these bullpens. And now, you almost fucking don't want anything to do with these teams' bullpens. You want to go out and attack early these starting pitchers because the last thing that you want to see is some of these arms in, in, in the back end of bullpens that are blowing 99 with, with movement. Uh, so in that regard, sitting around trying to work a walk is not as effective as being aggressive early in the count and, and hunting a, a fastball that you can drive somewhere uh, because you don't want to get to teams relievers. Uh, so maybe that's the approach. It's not working. Like it's, it's not working. And this team swings far too often. Um, they don't walk enough, um, nearly enough. And they don't, they just don't, there's no traffic. There's no base runners. Cause even, even your approach of being aggressive early in the count is not resulting in hitting the baseball. It's just not. You you literally got no hit through nine innings on on Saturday. Uh, so I don't know. I, is it is it a situation where the team is kind of in an in between phase in terms of philosophy? Could that be the issue here, where it's like we don't really fucking know what we're doing here because the game itself continuously evolves on an annual basis. The game of baseball. And the philosophies in which teams implement to to be good at it 
those are constantly changing and they're not all the same. It really depends on what organization you're in, depending on like what the what the organizational beliefs are. What should we be doing to be better at this sport? Uh, which which makes it all the more fascinating to me. I think that's that's why I, one of the many reasons why I love baseball is because there's no exact blueprint. There, like you can win in this game in a multitude of ways, and we've seen it, it with like teams like the Dodgers, teams like the Rays meeting each other in the World Series. Uh, it's crazy. Like I. I uh, I think it has to be something like that, maybe. I don't know. Well, uh, you, you also look at it, it's like, you know, just a couple times, whether Jackie Bradley Jr. had a ball hit earlier in the series that looked like it was gone off the bat. Verdugo today, going to left center, whatever it was, 406. Like, you know, the ball's not flying out like it was, as Dallas has talked about, as everyone's kind of looking around and seeing right now. Some of this stuff is going to change, and I think, you know, guys are going to look at it differently and you'll see, you know, maybe as we have launch angle in one direction, you know, generations of hitting different things come and go depending on where the game stands. It's just I think where the Red Sox are at right now, it doesn't even have to directly be the walks. It's putting yourself in position in counts, hunting the right pitches to kind of go after instead of swinging at the ball that's two inches off the plate and then kind of working through that quickly. And does this lineup have the potential to do that? Yeah, that that's where you should feel, you know, some sense of positivity about this. You know, it won't be this bad moving forward. Um, but is this the kind of thing where you could say the offense is going to be extremely inconsistent? I would not be surprised if that's a theme we see throughout the year where one week it's great. The next week we see a lot more of this. Yeah, I I personally think that the offense is going to get it going. Um, that usually seems to be the case with yeah, I, these teams like yeah, I, they have shit cold starts and then when the weather heats up in Boston they'll they'll start to hit in like late May and then you get to September and it's crunch time and then maybe you're not you're not hitting as well as you were uh, for the entire summer that is that's Red Sox baseball to me yeah, the I think anyone in September it's like all right thank god like you're you're going to carry that momentum yeah, I think anyone sitting here and trying to tell you this team's not going to hit at some point, you're out of your mind. Mm-hmm. It, it's just going to be, are they going to be an offense that can carry the pitching staff, at least through these first two months in the way they need? Because I don't think the pitching staff will need that kind of carrying come the second half. I think that could develop into arguably the strength of this team all the way through. And then, you know, at that point, you have the option, if it is Cassis, if you need to make a move at the deadline, it's just right now, you got to tread water and you need to find a way. I think this Blue Jays series is a big place to start where, you know, you want to cross your fingers and hope for a split. I, I think that's the best case scenario here. Um, but, you know, guys, someone needs to step up. You need someone to get crazy hot in this lineup. And JD seems like he's a day away, a two away or a day or two away at this point. He's the kind of bat that can carry you if he does get hot for, you know, a, a week or whatever it may be. You need that next guy. You need someone to do it. It was Alex Verdugo early in the season endeavors. The minute they came back down to earth, we've been here ever since. Mm-hmm. I want you to think about this while I'm talking about the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Who's been the biggest disappointment so far? I just want one name. If there is one. Yeah. Who on the Red Sox has been the biggest disappointment so far? But first, baseball fans. 
It's time to step up to the plate with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Major League Baseball. New customers can bet just $5 on any team and win and get $200 in free bets if they do. If the sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still take a swing at Stacks of Green with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Baseball Contest. New customers can play for free for thousands in prizes with their first deposit. Pick a lineup of two pitchers and eight batters while staying under the salary cap and rack up points for hits, runs, strikeouts, and more. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. All you got to do is download the DraftKings Sportsbook <clears throat> app right now. Use the promo code Jared, J-A-R-E-D, and bet just $5 to win $200 in free bets if your team wins their game. That is promo code Jared at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Major League Baseball. 21 plus restrictions apply. MLB trademarks used with permission. See show notes for details. It is pretty cool uh, being a DraftKings podcast and seeing like the DraftKings logos all over Major League ballparks. I'm like, oh shit, like being FNY. There's a big ass fucking DraftKings sign right above the green monster. Got to admit, that's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. I think DraftKings is also, um, I think they they either have or they're going to have a sports book at Wrigley. So I got to go check that out. Uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. I was watching Sunday Night Baseball. They got one at uh, Citizens Bank. Bryce Harper was mic'd up. I, I mean, like... <laughs> I get it when players get mic'd up and they want nothing to do with it. And I think that's like one of the most entertaining parts about it is that like 95% of the players that are mic'd up during baseball games are like, please just let me get this over with. This is fucking miserable. Anyways, mm, uh, the biggest disappointment for you. What are we, 16, 17 games? 16. 16. 16 games into the season. Who has been the biggest disappointment? For you. So I think it's a little tough. You know, if we're talking from a player, I think many people hope to take a step forward and hasn't, it's Nick Pavetta. Um, but at the same time, you know, the pitching staff isn't the problem. The pitching mm-hmm. staff is doing its job. I think if you're looking for in the lineup, the guy who I feel like is kind of weighing things down, it's Kike. Uh, just from the sense of this was a guy that Core has put a lot of emphasis on being your leadoff hitter when your lineup you know, took over in the playoffs last year. And listen, nobody can do what Kike was doing. Like it's a guy, you know, going beyond David Ortiz levels for that stretch. Um, But Kike at the top of that order, we felt like this team hit a different level when his bat kind of got going. And I think the reason why you saw Alex Cora and really the way the Red Sox are handling the lineup adjust things so quickly was they realized how important his production was at the top of that lineup. And now you have Trevor Story there. I have a hard time beating up on Trevor Story because the expectation heading into the year was I'd be surprised if he didn't struggle in April. Like it, it felt unlikely that he was going to be able to get hot. And he's never been a guy who's been super hot in April either. Besides his rookie year, I think it was a career 99 weighted runs created plus in the first month of the season. So I think I'm going to put it on Kike. You know, I think people could argue you put it on Bob. I, I like Bobby Delbuck, but am I surprised by what we're seeing right now? No, because we've seen this from him. I think from Kike Hernandez, we were expecting more of second half Kike than first half of last year. That is such a weird dynamic with Bob too that I've noticed is like he's such a huge fan favorite, but fans love to crush him too. It makes no fucking sense. 
Like if if you go back and watch uh, the wild card game against the Yankees, no other player on the Red Sox got a chant of their name other than Bob. Like he would get Bobby, Bobby. You know who else got that? Fucking Poppy, David Ortiz, the greatest Red Sox player of all time. All due respect to Ted Williams, uh, but David Ortiz is the most decorated, most important player in Red Sox history. He got a, his own name chant. You know who else did? Bobby Dahlbeck. And that wasn't the only time that happened. Bobby Dahlbeck would, would get Bobby chants pretty often in the second half of the season. But just looking at Twitter, I mean, like, you know, when, when he's going bad, he's going bad. When, when, but when Bob gets hot, he gets fucking, he gets best in the league hot. Go back and look at the numbers. The second half of last season, the two best hitters in baseball were Bobby Dahlbeck and Bryce Harper, who won his second MVP award. And he won that MVP award last year because of how hot he was in the second half. And Bob had comparable numbers to Bryce Harper. Uh, so I, yeah, I mean, Bob's going to hit. I'm not worried about it. I just, I just, I don't get as upset as other people because I know that when it's bad, it's bad. Like I, I know, I know when to expect, um, he, for whatever reason, I don't know. I don't know what it is that doesn't click with Bob when he's going so badly. But I think if if you watch his at bats, I, I think pitchers know to overwhelm him by filling up the strike zone. Like how many times have you looked up and it's 0-2 on, on Bobby? And I think he kind of gets to a point where his, his two-strike approach, he hasn't quite figured it out yet because it's almost like, all right, it's 0-2. There's no and and how often do we see pitchers with 0 and 2 counts not throw you a strike with giving you an, an attempt to like chase and, and and swing at some shit outside or in the dirt, um, but sometimes they'll try and catch you off guard and pump one in there and you're not ready for it and next thing you know you're striking out. So I think with with Bobby, the two strike approach we've got to figure that out because like it, pitchers. For whatever reason, for for a hitter that can be super super dangerous, pitchers are not afraid to be overly aggressive in the strike zone with Bob. No, and listen, what was Alex Cora preaching during spring training? Bobby Delbeck's two strike approach. He it had seemed, and I think if you were watching those games, he had shortened the swing a little bit. He was going the other way. It hasn't felt like that. And I think with Delbeck, one of the things we've known over the last year is. When he gets into these bad funks, he presses. He presses mm-hmm. heavy. It got to the point where it really hurt his defense in the first half last year. Seemed like he kind of worked out of that funk once he got hot and put the team on his back. It's just, I think this is who Bobby Delbeck is. You know, when UK like he does. And we saw when he got hot, his eye completely flipped. He was, you know, spitting on pitches right outside. Right now, and you can look at this race series. There's balls two, three inches off the plate that he's going right after. Um I think this is just Bobby Delbeck, unfortunately. And, you know, there's a lot of value for a guy who can play first base and third base and get hot like that. Yeah. Um, it's just on this team right now, is this probably, you know, not the ideal situation? Yeah. And do I wonder if the Tristan Cassis stuff of having that on your back? And he's someone, when Kyle Schwarber got here, he took it to the next level. So I don't want to, you know, go ahead and say Delbeck can't handle that Cassis is breathing down his neck, but. You know, that all plays into this. And I think he knows, listen, if I don't find it in the next two or three weeks, 
it's going to be pretty hard for them to not look at someone like Tristan Cassis and go that way. Yeah. I, yeah. And, and I think that that is one of the lost narratives of last year was that the second Kyle Schwarber came over here, Bob was like, oh, by the way, I actually have a 1200 OPS now. So <laughs> I don't know if you can take that out of the lineup. That's up to you guys. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that has the same effect. I don't know if Cassis gets here and and Bob starts hitting because I mean, uh, I don't I don't suspect that this JD injury is going to be a lingering thing where you're going to have the DH slot to put Devers there and then you can put Bob at third and then you can put Devers. I mean, uh, uh, Cassis at first. I just don't foresee that. It doesn't sound that serious. Like I asked, like, did you hear something pop? And he said, no. So like it's it doesn't sound like it's that serious, um, but yeah, I you know looking at biggest disappointments, um, you know you mentioned the name Trevor Story. It's not like I'm not discouraged as it pertains to Trevor Story. Am I disappointed that he didn't come out of the gates like guns blazing? Yeah, like I, I think that would have been great. I think it would have taken a lot of the the weird energy away from like. Oh man, you like that's great that we signed Trevor Story, but like once the report came out that Trevor Story had signed for more than Bogarts was offered in an extension, it was fucking weird. Like I'm sorry, but it was. And I can tell you that I'm not the only person who shares that sentiment that like it's weird and and people are off put by uh that how could they not be like you have multiple teammates coming out here and saying this stuff and you know hi made that comment of basically saying listen you know when a guy is still under contract you know there's things that go both ways in these conversations where you know that that offers them some kind of security almost like you know they should take a little bit off because we're willing to give him something before he hits for agency. It's like, do you realize who you're talking to? Do you realize what Xander Bogarts means to this clubhouse? A guy who, dating back to, you know, t- before 2018, but when he wasn't even the best player on the team and with someone like Mookie Betts here, it, he was always the guy who was willing to answer again and again and again. And, you know, we see it anytime there's a play on the field, whether it's story making an error, uh, you know, Bogart's having a tough play on defense. It's the first thing that comes to everybody's mind. And you think, damn well, if that's the first thing that comes to every fan's mind, that's not the thoughts that are floating in Xander Bogart's head. Those narratives, those different things that have been put out there. Of course they are. And, you know, there's also the weird uncomfortableness that is this Raphael Devers and Xander Bogarts, you know, this, those guys being still teammates here, this era of Red Sox, is this the last year of it? And we know Devers has another year, but you take Xander Bogarts out of this core, the whole team feels different. And there, and there's no denying that. And there's no running from that. Of course, of course, that's going to be something that's sitting there and it's going to make people uncomfortable. And I give all the credit in the world to Bogarts, who is hitting, you know, as well as anybody on the team right now. 400. Like, what more could you ask for out of a guy like that? And, you know, a couple errors in that first game, but that ball he went up and got there, saved the game. You, you lose that game if he doesn't jump up and uh, bail Michael Walker out. So, yeah, it, it's just, it's a really uncomfortable and weird feeling. And I think that's something that 
you know, nerds like me, people who are into the analytics, they don't always view it that way. And this is something that's just going to kind of sit there and be uncomfortable. And it doesn't look like Xander Bogart's leadership, the way he carries himself has changed at all. I think that's a credit to who that guy is, because there's a lot of guys who would act differently and not be that way. And I think it was Chris Cotillo or Chris Cotillo. And no, it's Cotillo. Uh, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's Sean McAdam. We're talking about it, you know. You can tell just by the way he's walking around a little bit that he felt some type of way. Um, yeah. Nothing against him. And he he should feel that way because he's Xander fucking Bogarts. Mm-hmm. You should feel that way because you are that guy. Mm-hmm. And someone's going to pay you to be that guy. It may be some poverty franchise that needs a friend or, you know, a face of the franchise guy. But someone is going to pay him that money. And that will make a statement to Rafael Devers. That will make a statement to whoever it may be three or four years. That is the next Red Sox star. All that stuff means stuff. Yeah. And here you go. You know, you got to carry those vibes when the first two months of your season were, even from the outlook, probably going to be somewhat rocky. Yeah. I just hope that this doesn't. I, and I don't know how it, we avoid that. I, I was going to say, like, I, I don't, I hope that this isn't a, a thing all fucking year, but how could it not be if, if Xander doesn't negotiate in season? And I'm not putting that on Xander. Like, that's, that's on the Red Sox for not getting something done before the season started. And that was another thing that sat weird with me um, during the Nesson post game, whenever it was right around opening day. But of them saying, you know, we're always the doors open. You know, remember with Dustin Pedroia, we got that deal done in season. That felt like one of those subtle shots to me. Like, we're here. You want to come talk? We're sitting here. You're choosing not to talk to us. Right. Listen. I don't blame Xander Bogarts. A majority of players don't want to talk contract because you're trying to go out and win a damn ball game every single day. And you know what? He's also trying to get paid. He doesn't, you know, he's trying to figure all this stuff out. You can want to be somewhere, but also understand this is not what's best for my business to be having these conversations when, you know, this is one of the big turning points of your career. I never really quite understood that, though, because... It's not like Xander Bogarts is sitting in the meetings. It's his fucking agent. Uh, is he a Boris guy? Yes. So, yeah, you got fucking Scotty B is taking those calls, and then he can just be like, you know, will you sign for this? I mean, I, I guess it's more so if you get to a a, a finish line point where... Because I think, I think what we've seen recently, especially with premier free agents, is that you might get five different offers from the same team. Where it's like, will you take... This many years for this average annual value with opt-outs after these years? Or would you rather have more years or less years or opt-outs here or this average annual value for, for less years? Like there's there's different ways that you can do it. Um, so I get I get if you're a player not wanting to have to make this life-altering decision while you're trying to prepare for this lefty that throws 98 miles an hour the next day. Uh, there's really like, I, I get that part of it, but at least like, you know, if you want to grease this, like if, if you really want to be in Boston, I'm not, again, I'm not putting this on Xander. I'm just saying if, if this were me, if you really wanted to be in, in Boston or with a, the team that you're still with, um, then have your agent at least keep the, the line open so that if you get an offer, it's like, yeah, well, okay. That's exactly what I was looking for. Yes. We'll take it. Because we, it's not like it's impossible. Like Josh Beckett, I believe, signed his extension around this time uh, in 2009. I want to say the year was he signed his extension after the season started. Uh, David Ortiz 
in I want to say 2006 agreed to an extension in like June. It was like a four year extension. Uh, we know Pedroia did his uh, in season, and these even, are these are names. Yeah, even last year, obviously different scale than some of those. Matt Barnes after you know the ridiculous first half. Yeah, inked up an extension with the mm-hmm. Red Sox, and obviously that looks one way right now. But you know, there's deals that got done. I just wonder if it's more along the lines of, and you know, with arbitration cases kind of happening midseason this year, we've heard like, you know, for a lot of players, they don't want to go in and be told why you're going to make this much money. These are the players we see at the same tier as you. Mm-hmm. And is that something you carry into that night? Like, oh, you know, they, they only think I'm worth this much. And for some guys, you know, it's motivation, but I can see how it wears. It, it's just, it's a tough situation. And I think once again, just being at a point where it'd be one thing if they just couldn't talk out a deal. Someone, you know, Xander Bogarts felt like he was slapped in the face. And yeah, who that's just wouldn't? a whole. Exactly. Hey, listen, the guy we're bringing in, Trevor Story, and all respect to Trevor Story, we're basically telling you he's worth more to us than you are. And you've sat and here. And we don't even know this guy. And we don't even know this guy. And you sat here through the crap, through us, you know, Mookie Betts being shipped out the door sat through 2020 through, you know, everything you went through, even the jerking around he felt early in his career uh, with the Steven Drew stuff and those different angles and the, you know, parts he's played in these teams. It's just, I don't know how you can't feel insulted. And, you know, the brotherly role, he he's raised what is probably the best player on your team now, yeah. Raphael Devers. Like, mm-hmm. he got him here. And, you know, a lot of credit to Alex Cora. It's not just as Xander Bogarts, but this is a guy in Bogarts who not only gives you everything on the field, but gives you everything in the clubhouse. And yeah. it's just when you when you need all those guys, it, it sets a weird tone, especially when now Bogarts has to look at it and he may want to focus on this season, but he's going to have to have one eye on what's after the season, no matter what. Yeah. Yeah. And how like look around, L- look around right now and say, Next year, Kike Hernandez could be gone. Nate Evaldi could be gone. Xander. Xander. (laughs) Like JD. Christian Vasquez. Vasquez, yeah. Like, you know, another thing. Christian Vasquez. Hey, we didn't make the deal, but we basically told you. Eh, You know how we feel about Christian Vasquez? Eh. We would have taken Jacob Stallings over him. You know, that deal was, they were the runner up. Uh, to deal for Jacobs, like there, I can understand where there's some uncomfortableness here, and those conversations take place. And that leadership group of Bogarts and Vasquez and these guys, that stuff that is going to ring, you know, it's going to stand there. Yeah, that that dude that sends me the doom and gloom tweets at all, like after every single game for like the last ten years, mm-hmm. uh, he listens to the podcast, which is funny because I I thought <laughs> I thought he was just like a random Twitter troll that just always said negative things, but that's interesting that he, <laughs> uh, I mean, we're a pretty positive Red Sox podcast, so if if you want to hear doom and gloom, we're definitely not the place for you. You can t- uh, ninety eight five the Sports Hub from two to six p.m. Monday through Friday. Uh, if you want to hear negative Red Sox takes, um, but yeah, I, I just he he the fact that he would say like, oh, this is a bridge year. I mean, next year could be the the ultimate bridge year. Like, how the fuck are you gonna fill all of those roles from you know the, the Vasquez's of the world and Bogarts and JD? I'm sure some of them will be retained, maybe. Uh, but it, regardless of who's retained and who's not, it's going to be a different look Red Sox team next year. 
Um, which why I feel like I don't know that I feel as strongly as other people that that 2022 is an all in like you should be all in year. I I don't know necessarily feel that like this is like fuck man like you gotta win the World Series this year. You're fucked. I don't feel that way. Uh, but it does kind of feel like a uh the final year of a chapter. You're in a weird spot here, and I think the Red Sox know they're in a little bit of a weird spot. You know, considering you went over the CBT, but just by a little bit, it's like, all right, so you're willing to push it. And listen, you're not going over the CBT unless you're planning for a two-year kind of push. That's what we saw with the Dodgers. It's the reason they paid Mookie bets like they did, and they kind of lucked out in 2020. David Price opted out. That money came off the books. They were able to slip back underneath. But we saw them push over. You know, last year, they're doing so this year. We've seen other teams. You push over for two and you usually try to get back under unless, you know, it's a little bit of a different situation. I think the Red Sox, while they're willing to push the chips in this year, I think they're also telling you they're going to wait and see. And they're going to see if they can. Can you tread enough water to June and July? And if you're sitting there and listen, the Yankees were three games over 500 on June 5th last year. So if, if you can get somewhere in that ballpark, especially with another playoff spot in the mix here, the conversation is very different, but I think the Red Sox have once again, for better or for worse, they have a lot of flexibility. And is there a scary, scary situation, which I don't think they're going to end up in, but where they can ship off salary and get back underneath? That That is a real thing that could exist this year. I don't think it's going to go that way. I think this team will find that ground, be able to make the playoffs and go that route. But I think the Red Sox are taking the wait and see approach a little bit here once again and. They're willing to pour into it. They're willing to pay Trevor Story. But I think they're also waiting to see what this team really can show them. Yeah. All that to say that I'm not like... I don't think that Trevor Story is not going to hit by by saying like he's been the biggest disappointment for me. It's just I wanted him to come out of the fucking gates just guns blazing, fucking hitting 400 with five bombs in the first three weeks, whatever. Like... That's what I wanted to see just to kind of make things less awkward in the the Bogarts story dynamic where it's like, all right, yeah, I mean, it's it's you ask story to switch positions. You put a guy in here that some people are saying is Xander Bogarts built in replacement when when you don't bring him back. That's going to cause some friction, I think, with the fan base. So he would automatically endear himself to the fans here by you know hitting the shit out of the ball. He's been playing great defense. Like I, I think you can see that, you know, you tune in on a nightly basis and you're gonna see Trevor Story is a very good defensive middle infielder. Uh and then on Wednesday when he got drilled in the fucking head and still took first base, I think that he earned some respect from from the Fenway faithful that night as well. But until he hits I think it's just, it's going to feel weird. It's going to feel weird. So Now, Jared, when you look at Trevor's story, we've talked, you know, Coors, hangover effect, how, Nolan Arenado, his, look at what he's doing. He's NL MVP front runner right now. We know mm-hmm. what DJ LeMay has been in years past since he came to New York. What, in you know, in a perfect world where Trevor's story comes to Fenway and has a good year, he is Trevor's story, what would your expectation be? Would it be, you know, are you looking at 25 home runs, something like, you know, like 270, like, you know, OPS around like a little over 800. Like what, what is the guy do you see? 
Do you think it's a significant change or do you see something along the lines of a 120 OPS guy like he was in Colorado? Yeah, I I think that that's kind of what I expect, like an 800-ish OPS. I mean, I don't, I would hate to see him in the sevens, but I think he's capable of somewhere between 800, 850. Uh However many, I mean, doubles and, and homers it takes to get to that mark, but I don't really care so much about batting average if he's north of 240. Like, I'm happy with that. Um, the on base, you would want to see, uh, I don't know, like 320 plus. I'll take that. Um, but yeah, I, I think he's, I think he's capable of all of that. Um, it's just a matter of, like you want to talk about not having a fucking spring training. Like that guy, that guy went there for a cup of coffee and then started the major league season. And then he, he took a break during the major league season. Yeah. Like he's been sick. He's had to go uh, be around for a childbirth and new market, new team, new hitting coaches, new medical staff. Yeah. He, he's, he's had to make an adjustment. So in, in saying that it's been a disappointment, I'm not saying like, damn, fuck, like this isn't going to work out. It's just like, I was really hoping that he, he kind of had like a a start to the season like i don't know xander bogarts yeah <laughs> i do think when it's funny it feels like when trevor story starts you know he's been the starter for a couple of these rallies and obviously it's been inconsistent um but when he gets it going like we saw today to start off the game uh, we saw you know another time earlier in the series it feels like the entire offense there's a not a weight lifted, but almost a like, all right, story's cooking. Now we follow suit. I think that's the stuff you're going to see play out. And I think they're going to be willing to get creative. Trevor Story sitting in that leadoff spot. It's interesting. Is it perfect? I'd probably say no. But I think the Red Sox know he's the kind of bat. Once he does get hot, and I think he will get hot, You know, he could be what completely changes where this offense has been. I agree. <clears throat> um. Is there anything from that Tampa series? Oh, Garrett Woodlock. Oh, can we just can we talk about our Lord and Savior Garrett Whitlock for one second? Because some of these numbers are absolutely uh, they're mind numbing. Um, so this was his first start of his career that he had in this series. Four innings, one hit, zero earnings. Did not walk a batter. Punched out seven uh, on forty eight pitches. Uh, Hitters this season against Garrett Whitlock on his slider and his changeup, 0 for 21. He has not given up a hit on his slider or his changeup in 21 ABs. He's punched out eight batters uh, with, with that combo. And his slider has a whiff rate of, what is it, Tyler? What would you guess? Oh, my God. I don't even know where I'd start. Let me hear it. His slider has a whiff rate of 72.7%. Oh, my God. Oh, 72.7%. You're looking at, listen, that contract extension told you. That, that contract extension had told you. Garrett Whitlock, you're looking at the guy who is going to be the anchor for the top of this rotation. It may not be this year. Could he force himself into that conversation? Hell, it looks like he's going to make another start in Toronto. And if it looks something like that, it's going to be very hard for you to tell yourself, you know, push him back in the bullpen. But where your roster's at, I still think that's ultimately the best spot for him this year. But anyone who wanted to go and tell you, you know, Garrett Whitlock is not a starter, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yankees fans, suck on it. Life's hard. It's going to be okay. Garrett Whitlock is here to torch you. 
he's going to torch you for the next, you know, foreseeable future uh, under contract through his age 32 season. And what I love about him is it feels like he is old school and new school. You have a guy who can get up to 96, 97. But what have I loved about him this year? He's pitching to contact and he's not scared to do it. There's no fear in him. And that's where you're seeing the efficiency with, you know, less than 50 pitches to get through there. Usually that's one of the biggest things for a guy who's coming out of the bullpen and adjusting to the rotation. He defines efficiency and the stuff hasn't ticked down at all. I'm looking at I'm looking at his uh his highlights from from Saturday and it is truly uh electric shit. <laughs> like I think even the most casual of baseball fans can sit down, watch Garrett Whitlock pitch, and come away from that being like, that guy's different. That guy is not like the other guys. And if that's your stance, you would be correct. He is not like the other guys. And it still to this day boggles my mind that you had scouts, executives, whoever, these are intelligent baseball or supposed intelligent baseball minds. And you have to figure that's not just the decision of one person. That's got to be a group of baseball people who make the decision on who to protect in the Rule 5 draft. And you had a congregation of baseball people, paid baseball people at the highest level Take a look at Garrett Whitlock and say, I don't see it. (laughs) I don't, you know what? I just, I don't, mm -mm. you know who we like? Brooks Krisky. That's who we got to protect. That's the guy that is going to lead us to the promised land, who in the very same year threw like 19 balls to the backstop at Fenway and then got designated for assignment. I don't even know wh- what organization that dude's in right now, but he's not even with the Yankees anymore. That was a guy that the Yankees chose to protect in the Rule 5 draft instead of Garrett Whitlock, who became property of the Boston Red Sox for nothing. Nothing. Hmm. All-time fleece. It's an all-time fleece. And obviously, let's see how it plays out here. You know, you got to get a little farther, but... God, I don't know how if you're the Red Sox, you aren't thinking every single thing that you possibly could, considering the issues they've had developing pitching over the years. And, you know, Tanner Houck looks like he'll finally, you know, be the first arm in a long time. But when you got to go all the way back to Clay Buckholds and that era of arms from someone you drafted and brought up through your system, this is you've hit the jackpot and he covers every single thing makeup wise like this guy is. Heim's out here singing his praises. He's calling Heim Mr. Heim. Mr. Heim. This is the guy you want, you know, your daughter to bring home. Mm-hmm. And he goes out there and he shoves it down your friggin' throat when he's on the mound. He is cold-blooded. I just, I I, th- I, think for the Red Sox right now, uh, you know, they're going to be flexible. I think you can make a fair argument. Whatever role he is in, he could be the very best pitcher on the Red Sox. Mm-hmm. And that's including, that's no disrespect to Nate Evaldi. That's none. Because what he did last year, he was a true top of the rotation arm and bulldog. But what Garrett Whitlock showed in that start, that was probably the most pure dominant start I've seen since we had vintage Chris Sale out there in a Red Sox uniform. Yeah. Red Just Sox in terms of stuff. 
the Red Sox have only won one series uh, to start the year. Where where is your where's your concern level? We do in one to ten. Yeah, one to ten. Ten being ten being this team's gonna finish uh, closer to the Orioles than they do to the third place team. I'd say I'm at about a six. I think that's fair. Like that concern is that is that I'm like I don't five would like five to me would be like very average. I'm a little you know what five let me go to five. I think I'm right in the middle. I'm not panicking. I'm not anywhere close to panicking. But do I think there's some concerning things here? I do. Um, I I still feel good about them overall. I still think they're going to find a way to tread that water until they get some of these pieces back. Um, I'm more, my concern isn't with the team. It's what lies inside the division and it's the other teams and how quickly they could put that gap between you and this race and make life really hard for you come the second half. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. Cause that wasn't really a thing last year. Like last year, um, we had breathing room place. Yeah. Yeah, You were were in first place at the trade deadline. You weren't sweating games until August. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You were in first place at the trade deadline. Tampa ultimately ran away with it. I think they won the division by eight games, something like that. Um, but the Yankees were just so fucking bad that you were able to kind of be a little dog shit too. And it wasn't going to matter because the Yankees were going to stay right there. And, um, there was nothing to write home about outside of the other division winners in the American League. And you had owned not them. The case anymore. Yeah, you had owned them at that point last year where, like you said, loaded diapers on the mound. Like they were just crapping their pants, collapsing consistently. Um, and obviously, you know, th- that changed down the stretch where you had some of those horror moments with Giancarlo Stanton and stuff. Um, this year, I, I, I don't know. I, I think you're just in a spot where this division could get very serious very quickly. And it feels like we're trending in that direction. And I hate to say it, but. You know, you're going into Toronto now and you're not you're playing like must win games it, and like it, that sucks. Like it shouldn't feel like that this early in the year. But no. you know, like we said, you lose three out of four and it's like, you know, you could be six or, you know, four or five games back at that point. Like, yikes, life will catch you very quickly here. And I think the Rays are going to have a lot of ups and downs like you are, too, but. You just don't want to get into a spot where you almost have to play perfect baseball over the last three months of the year. Right. Yeah. The Yankees are off on Monday. The Red Sox start their season with the Blue Jays. Uh, On Tuesday, some bad news here, folks. The Yankees have the Orioles. That's who they're playing next. Um, The Blue Jays got you. And then Tampa has... um, our our Seattle Mariners, America's team, who have gotten off to a ten and six start after a Jesse Winker walk off tonight. So it, it is a little crazy to me to be scoreboard watching in April, but I think it's if if you love this team, you're not going to not be doing it. It's I think it's a little crazy to be sweating uh, the standings in April. Yeah. You got to see where you're at in, in July, and then you can really be like, all right, are we fucked? Are we not? Are we in this? Are we not? Um, but it, it is something that fans pay attention to. So it's only fair if, you know, we're just doing a little 
little peek. Just doing a little peek. What, what, what are the Yankees doing? Okay. What's your number at, Jared? Mm, like a 3.8. About a four. About a four, but still less. Okay. Yeah. I'm at like a 3.8. Just because I feel like uh, it's nice that the Yankees have gotten off to the start that they have. I mean, it's 10 and 6. They're not fucking... They're not 12 and, and 4. You just beat fuck. up the Guardians. Like, let's not go crazy here. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, no one looks to be the Dodgers in this division. Um, run differential-wise, just for comparison's sake, the first place Mets are 12 and 5. They have a plus 32. Uh, the Dodgers are 11 and 4. They have a plus 44. The Giants are 11 and 5. They have a plus 37. Uh, the Blue Jays, 10 and 6, plus 3. The Yankees, 10 and 6, plus 14. The Rays, 9 and 7, plus 8. So while there's a lot of talent, uh, and, and surely the ability to, to ha- you know, win 95 plus games is there for Toronto, New York, and Tampa. Yes, I'm not denying them that. Uh, but to start the season, are any of them juggernauts? No. No. None of them are beating their opponents senseless and none of them are presenting themselves as a team where it's like, oh, fuck, we got to worry about that team. Not yet. If it, if it, if it is to happen, then it, it looks like it could be Toronto that's that team. Um, but it hasn't happened yet. So I don't think like where I'm at, sub four on the panic scale. Uh, I'm not quite there yet. I I think, I think the Red Sox have been worse than the than the good teams have been good. Does that make sense? Yes. And I, I like we said, there's a real you know one bad throw, one mm-hmm. bad throw, and we're coming out of this completely differently. I think where my concern lies is going to Toronto now. You lose a couple of those games. How can things snowball? You know what I mean? How quickly could things kind of get away from you in that sense? And like I said, maybe five is even a little bit too strong. Um, you lose three out of four, the season's over. Wow. <laughs> Jared, right? You just jumped right off the bridge. <laughs> you were standing, you were comfortable, and you just jumped. I, I think that's more than a 3.8. You can't, you can't, man, can you really play? six series and lose the first five and that's where i'm concerned like then that's the snowball that's where things get out of hand that's where one injury something goes the wrong way for you one more Mm. time like that that's where you get a little bit uncomfortable still i don't think that's the direction but can you honestly tell me you'd be surprised if they drop three out of four here no but I think I think it, so. Here's here's the thing. I don't think the Red Sox are a bad team. I no. think that they have had some unlucky things happen so far. So if they lose three out of four in Toronto, I would tell you, all right, which game did the the fuckery happen in? Like, what game did like the the Bob play at first base happen, or like the fluky get no hit for nine innings, but then take a two nothing lead, but then lose three to two in the fucking bottom of the ten. Like, so, like that was just a wonky ass game. Um, the reason you should believe in this team is how many times have you felt like just from a score standpoint, I'm not telling you, you know, oh, I don't believe in the lineup, whatever. They haven't 
killed themselves. They haven't been out of these games realistically. No. Has it felt that way at times? But they have been in all these games. Well, like With you a, said earlier today, like we're recording this on Sunday night. The when Tampa took the four to two lead, I almost like I'm never I'm not dumb enough to to tweet that a game is over before that it's before it's over. But I felt very compelled to tweet ball game when it became four to two Tampa, just because it, of the way the offense has been. What they, they they've scored two runs in their last twenty five innings or something like that. In the, in the bullpen, like I think you got two hits against the Rays bullpen, two, and there was a bullpen game like. That's that's where it gets scary. And I just hope for where this lineup stands right now, a lot to change something like this where your chase rate is this much of a problem, it doesn't feel like something that happens overnight. No. So I feel like it's gonna be something, you know, it's gonna take a bit. And it's do they have, you know, can they take a bit? Because if the rotation falls off the side of the road, we know how thin it is in that rotation if someone gets hurt right now. Yeah, it's just you're walking on thin ice and you should not be walking on thin ice on April 24th. Right. Right. So I guess we'll see how it goes. Um, I'm going to stick with this for as long as I can. I don't think that there's going to be a team that runs away with it. I think that the that the Yankees, Blue Jays and Rays will stay within three to four games of each other the whole way. I think it's going to be a clusterfuck. It's just a matter of can you get in the mix on that clusterfuck. And, and I think that they can. I, I ultimately think the Red Sox can be a part of the American League East clusterfuck. I do. I because do believe that. You, because your team and where you stand right now, two months from now, could be as, as strong of a rotation as any in the AL East. Yeah. If this lineup lives to what it's supposed to do, you yeah. can hit with any lineup in the AL East. And the bullpen, it's gotten the job done so far. Will it probably need some help? Sure. But those arms coming into the rotation, that will help that bullpen. You got Frank German in the minors. You got Josh Winkowski. You got these different names. There's support options there. You're not out of options. And that that depth is something you haven't always, always had with the Red Sox in recent years. Okay. You know, it's going to, I'm telling you, this roster will look a lot different by the middle of the year and by the end of the year. I think people are going to be very surprised. Yeah. And just, you know, you have these four games in Toronto. And then you come up for air. You got Baltimore. You got a day off. You get the Angels. You get the White Sox, who have been fucking terrible to start the year. Two in Atlanta, Texas. That should be okay. The Astros. So, yeah. I mean, it, it's not like you have death row of a schedule coming up. Like they should be able to 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 get back to their winning ways, or at least get to their winning ways. I shouldn't even say back. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be a dog fight. It's going to be a dog fight. This is not going to be, uh, <laughs> like the, the days of 2018 are long behind us where they went 108 games and just kind of shit on uh, everyone in the league. That's just not, if the Red Sox already get to the playoffs this year, it's going to be a dog fight and, uh, it's going to be fun, but that's what makes it fun. Having a four team race in a division, that'll be fun. So it just, it just, Unfortunately, it sucks that the Red Sox have gotten off to the start that they have. I don't necessarily think it's indicative of the team that they will ultimately be. I'm right there with you, Jared. Uh, I think people will try to sell off this team just like 
listen, there, there's people who are still crying that their narratives down the last two months last year didn't happen. So they've immediately tried to correct them and say they were right all along. <laughs> Get over yourself. You took the L back then. It's not going away. I promise you that the scoreboard stands forever. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I think where you say where you see the Red Sox right now, it's just. It feels like you can't breathe when you're playing these guys in your division. The Rays, the Blue Jays, this next series is going to feel like that. But things will slow down. Things won't feel like every pitch is do or die. It's just that's what division games are this year. That's why people are so happy there's going to be less of them moving forward after this year. But this is just what you're going to get in the best division in baseball. Right, 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 right. All right, Stop and Shop Look Ahead brought to you by Stop and Shop. Uh, all right. So you get a four game series in Toronto, and it looks like Avaldi, uh, Berrios, Pavetta, Gosman, Waka, Stripling, Whitlock, Manoa, and you've got that weird ass three oh seven start time on what's that Thursday? Yeah. Um. Okay. The Red Sox are one and two with a negative five run differential against the Blue Jays this season. Uh, Berrios has a 635 ERA and a two whip, which isn't great. But he did really well against the Red Sox, which was his last time out. Six innings, eight hits, one earned run, one walk, six strikeouts. The Red Sox had 10 base runners in that start. Had a chance to chase him early. Yeah, they, they let him off the hook. They had 10 base runners in that game. And uh, they had 10 base runners just against Berrios himself. Only one earned run. So you're going to have to capitalize next time. Uh, He threw, uh, what was it, 11 curveballs. Red Sox were 0 for 11 against the curve. Four strikeouts. Um, Gosman dropped his nuts on the Red Sox. Eight innings, seven hits, one earned run, eight strikeouts. Uh, got 19 whiffs against the Red Sox in that outing. Seventh most by any pitcher in a game this year. Can he repeat that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't think that was much of a fluke outing for for Kevin Gosman. So uh, that second game is going to be a little bit... It's going to be difficult. Um, that was his longest outing of the year. And he he's really like not even like really stretched out. His first three starts, 80 pitches, 83 pitches, and then 88 pitches. And he only needed... He only needed 88 pitches to go fucking eight innings against the Red Sox. But um, five, five and two thirds, and then the eight innings against the Red Sox is the last time out. And he made it to that ninth inning. He didn't make it far. He did. But he, he took the mound. He was he the first plus. guy to do it. Yep. It was the second time this year that the Red Sox have had 19 whiffs in a game. I wish Still I could say I'm surprised. Mm-hmm. It Still feels that way. In April. This is the game that you got to win. Ross Stripling. Uh, this is a game you got to win because uh, he's not very good. And the Red Sox have had success against him. Um, he's made four appearances this year, but only two have been starts. Both were both starts were four innings, roughly 60 pitches. Uh, so you're going to have to get to him early if you're going to get to him at all. Um, Heater doesn't have a ton on it, about 92 with the four seam. Looks like Story got him for a homer. Uh, Verdugo got him for a homer and Kike, who we definitely need to see get going. And then Alec Manoa. Uh, Red Sox suck against Alex Manoa. Alec Manoa. 167 with a 490 OPS. That's bad. 
Although Verdugo has two doubles against them. And then you have Rafi and Kike are the only other players with hits against Manoa. And they're both singles. Whew. Okay. <laughs> That's not good. Nathan Avaldi. Um, we mentioned this earlier about the FIP. It's only three games, but his FIP is 5.73. So we've got a 3.68 ERA and a 5.73 FIP. So that's a pretty big discrepancy. And he was the guy who led all of the American League in FIP last year. Mm-hmm. Yep. So his splitter and his slider have been getting shit pumped this year. With an exit velocity over 93 and a slug of 667. So that's bad because his splitter is, I don't want to say his bread and butter, but kind of. I mean, when you have 100 miles an hour in, in the tank for your fastball, that would be your bread and butter. But uh, the splitter is what makes the fastball so devastating when it's working and it hasn't been. Uh, and then you have Nick Pavetta, who has allowed at least four earned runs in every single start this year. And at least one home run in every single start this year. And coincidentally, his last start was against the Toronto Blue Jays. Four innings, seven hits, five earned runs, four walks, and a home run. That was bad. That was the uh, that was the Jerry Remy ceremony. So uh, the Don Orsillo drama overshadowed just how bad Pavetta was his last time out against the Blue Jays. And uh, if things... Couldn't get worse. Toronto Blue Jays hitters, lifetime against Nick Pavetta, 311 batting average and on base of 383 and an OPS of 940. That's that's not good. I don't feel so good. Yeah, that's not that's not good. Bo Bichette, eight for seventeen, two homers, a fourteen forty one OPS. Springer, he's got a thirteen ninety three OPS against against Pavetta. Save us, Michael Waka. This one, uh, we've got some hope here. The strikeouts haven't been outstanding with Waka, but it hasn't really mattered. He's he's got a 188 ERA and an 091 whip on the year to go along with the seven and a half strikeouts per nine. Uh Waka still hasn't really been stretched out. He hasn't thrown more than five innings yet or gone beyond 82 pitches. Uh he's only allowed six hits this year, but he does have seven walks. So if we were to nitpick on Waka, we would point out the seven walks to the six hits allowed. Um, and this is something to keep an eye on, although I'm not going to put too much stock into it because this is a different Michael Waka that we're talking about. But Blue Jays hitters lifetime, uh, 343 with an 854 OPS against Michael Waka. And, uh, you know, we already blew Garrett Whitlock earlier, but. His just just to kind of hammer home that point, his ERA on the season this year a zero sixty six and an 0.51 WHIP with an eleven point nine strikeouts per nine. Blue Jays hitters are just two for twenty three with ten strikeouts against Garrett Whitlock. Um, Bouchette and Jansen are the only hitters that have hits against Garrett Whitlock. Um, so yeah, <laughs> I, I wish, I wish we had someone else going up against stripling, like the, the Waka, the Waka stripling 
matchup feels like a must win. You've got to win that one. Um, Avaldi, Avaldi Berrios feels like I. That's playoff intensity. Yeah. It's the Red Sox coming off back-to-back losses. Mm. Really rough ending to that series. Blue Jays coming off a tough loss today. Um, uh-huh. You know, shout out, <laughs> shout out Jeremy Pena. Um, yeah. But the franchise. Yeah, really. Um, you're at this point. Yeah, it feels like one of those kind of games where you drop another that's three straight and then you're mm-hmm. kind of just falling down that hill. Yeah. I think Nate Evaldi needs to make a statement. We need that, uh, you know, top of the rotation kind of start he gave again and again mm-hmm. last year. Give me game one to the Red Sox, game two to Toronto, game three to the Red Sox, and then the the whole fucking Tanner Houck not being vaccinated thing really fucks you in game four. Because I, I would, I would kind of roll the dice on picking the Red Sox in Game Four if Hauk was able to start that game, and then you'd have Whitlock uh, piggybacking. But you don't have that. In no matter what way you want to put it, the pitching staff, you know, they're at least an arm short, and this is where it's going to come up to bite you because you lose Tanner Hauk. You're, you're multiple arms down. At some point. No matter what happens in these next couple of games, the bullpen's going to be running on fumes. And that's where I kind of get scared because can you really expect more than four out of Garrett Whitlock? No. Probably not. And so at that point, after three games in Toronto, you're going to be asking that bullpen to hold it down for most likely five innings. Without an off day. Exactly. Because uh... I'm guessing they're going to go full... You know, horse ahead, especially Nate Evaldi. If you can get a big start out of him tomorrow, they're going to try to strike and get that win. It's just how many times can you do that in those, you know, first, second, and third game? And by the end of that series, are you in a similar spot like you were today? I tell you what, I got, I got a split. I'll take I it with split. you. Yeah, I don't. I would love to pick the Red Sox in in that finale with Whitlock, but. There's just too many innings to cover without knowing what the plan is, without Hauk being available. Like, what the fuck? What do you do? What do you do? Uh, and and just, I don't know, the Blue Jays offense is so good and Manoa is so good that even if... Like, Manoa is going to be able to give you six or seven, maybe, and Whitlock, we know, is going to give you four. It's just, for as great as Whitlock is... I, I worry about the innings that he's not going to be out there, um, which is we can safely assume more than half the game. Um, so yeah, I like the Red Sox, it's it's in every other it's in every other win loss win loss. Just I, not being able to get anything going. They'd be thrilled. I, I think they'd look at that as a huge win. Um, you know, as long as none of those losses don't end up being you know catastrophic, you know, a la the Trevor Story situation yesterday. But if you can get out of there and split and then you're going to Baltimore, you're you're at least trending in the right direction. It's treading water. It's exactly what we've said again and again. But you drop three out of four, coming off two out of three from Tampa, you get to Baltimore. It's like, if we don't pull our shit together here, then then even that game, that series feels like do or die. And it's just like you play do or die games again and again. It wears. It will wear on these arms and it will wear on a bullpen. So 
I, I think they'll answer. I I truly do think they'll answer the bell. I don't want people to think I know. I know we've I feel like we've, you know, not been negative, but we've been very realistic. I, I think we've looked at things and how they can go both ways. But this team. They need to respond here. You need the lineup to be the story in the next four games because I think asking the pitching to solely do it again, it's unfair and it's unrealistic. They've given it to you again and again in Tampa. Come on. Now you need to do it. You need to show up here. And hopefully JD's right and he can come and help that a little bit. But I'm looking at Trevor Story. I think we need our first signature Trevor Story homer, Trevor Story big hit moment. Uh, and You know, he had a, Pretty big one with that double um, back the first time he played Toronto. But we need we need those kind of games. We need those kind of moments. I agree. You need a breakout from someone. You need someone to get red hot. Um, hitting's contagious, and there hasn't been someone being like, you know what, I'm just going to fucking go off in this series. Um, there hasn't been a, a never mind a Trevor Story moment. There hasn't been an anybody moment. There hasn't been like a fuck. I mean, it, it was almost the 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 Bob hit in Tampa, and then that turned into a fucking disaster of a baseball game and a, and a finish to a baseball game. But that would have been like the first like fuck yeah, like let's go moment, signature win. Yeah, that just did not come to fruition. Uh, Jake, I know that you're dying, but. Uh, do you, uh, do you have any Jake's takes? Oh, I got a sock. the socks on a sweep. <laughs> <laughs> That's our Jake. 102 temp, and he's still the same man. 102 temperature. Jake's take is socks and four. Flu game, baby. Yep. Guy's fucking over there dying. And he's like, you know what? I got to let the people know the Sox are sweeping that series in Toronto, which I hope you're right. I hope you're right, Jake. Uh, I also hope that you feel better. Um, that uh, that sucks because we were supposed to be we were supposed to be recording here at my place tonight. Jake got sick. Pat's flight got delayed, and then Pete had to cover hockey. So next Sunday. We'll all be together, hopefully here to record the first in person, and then that'll be cool. I mean, like I think whenever, whenever like Middlebrooks is is doing some Ness and shit, he said he would pop over and um and jump in the studio with us or whoever's just in the neighborhood. We'll do that. And I, Jake, I know you're dying. Uh, the streams. Do we know when those are going to start? I think it's May third. May third. May 3rd, we'll be doing live streams from my apartment, which um, those will be fun. Those will be uh, like Scott Zolak already called me, said he wants to do it. I talked to Beetle on the phone. He said he wants to do it. Uh, I talked to Maz. He said he wants to do it. Loomer Loney, I think that's who I want to debut with. I think we're going to have uh, Lou there. It's not just a sports hub thing. I, I, it's whoever fucking wants to do it. Like if Will Middlebrooks wants to walk through that door. Kevin Euclid wants to come over. We can do that. I think Dallas... I don't think Dallas will be able to do it because if he's in Boston, then that means that he's here to broadcast uh, the actual baseball game at Fenway Park against the Oakland A's. Um, but yeah, I think it's going to be one of those things. I think it's going to be like the the Dean Martin variety show. You just never know who's going to show up. Um, so yeah, that'll be fun. It's going to be on Tuesday nights. Um, I saw... 
I saw the other company is doing it, but that's because I gave them the idea last July and then they told me uh, to to sit on the idea and then never used it. And now they're doing it with everyone else. Um, so when we debut on May 3rd and everyone's like, you're copying them, just know that like the idea came from me and and we just never... We never did it with me. Uh, so yeah, that'll be fun. I'm excited. And um, we'll be back on fucking Friday, right? That's sour? Yeah. No, gonna, or Thursday. We're going to record Thursday night to drop on Friday. So Precisely. I, I can't... I, hey, I can't say yet where I'm going to be. But when I record on Thursday... I'm not gonna be sitting here. Hmm. Yeah, I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be in a hotel room somewhere, someplace, someplace. Actually, I well, I can't say right now, but I think by the time I'm recording on Thursday night, you'll know where I am. Yeah. So I think on Thursday, on Thursday, we're gonna have some some news. Of where I be, you know? We have a lot of, on Thursday, a lot of checking up to do. Pat's yeah. been uh, living life. Who knows if he survived this plane landing? You know, I don't, I don't think either one of us have any clue yet. Hopefully, it went his way. Yeah. Um, eh. what, whatever happens, happens, yeah, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. You know, come on. We continue here. We're not going to just collapse. Right. Yeah, the show um, goes on. Yeah. So, we'll see. Pat and Jared. Right. Big checkups. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, maybe... Uh, Maybe a big announcement, a big personal announcement on on Thursday. Um, Jake, do you even know about this? I think I do. Yeah. What is it? Bleep it out. No. No. <laughs> Good effort. No, I don't. <laughs> Thanks, Jake. <laughs> so, yeah, Jake's got fever brain. So, who knows? <clears throat> um all right i guess we'll see you on thursday from that hotel room somewhere i'm i'm excited uh you guys have a great rest of your week hopefully the red Sox fucking win some fucking baseball games and we'll see you thursday when it's no chase amigos